0: Welcome to Ah oh, Crap, a Hellboy podcast. The show dedicated to the half demon hero, hosted by me, Kate Thompson,
1: and me, Mark David Christiansen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, we are back, um, yeah. for a very short story, of course, this week, yeah. um, our little introduction to Sir Edward Gray, witch finder, um, uh, murderous intent. But before we get to that little story, which I know you're all pining for us to talk about, we have a couple of segments for you, which are, um, one segment's really just wanted to quickly plug since unfortunately in our scheduling with our recording and then, uh, Most of the time we've been down on our recording schedule, um, this amazing Mike Mignola Drawing Monsters documentary Kickstarter went live. Yeah. um, And apparently it hit its goal and then far exceeded its goal actually within like hours of it going live. And so – just pretty much just want to plug that for them one last time. Today, as you're listening to this episode, unfortunately, you only have until the end of today, like 8.59 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Yeah, so, on
0: March 31st. <laughs> yeah, if you're listening to this on March 31st, go ahead and try to get in there real quick.
1: Yeah, I'm assuming that anybody that's listening to us is already donated and is... Yeah. Um, uh, and Or not donated or Whatever it is, contributed, contributed, to the Kickstarter, yeah. Kickstarter. I, Kate, I, know, I definitely know that you have. You did the Blu-ray one. I
0: did, yeah. I did, did the black and white art Blu-ray one. I was like, ah. Oh. You sent it to me, and I was like, I really shouldn't be spending money. And then, like five minutes later, I was like, confirm purchase.
1: Yeah, that's great. I mean, yeah, I. I definitely contributed. I did the lowest one. I don't think I'm getting any art or anything. I just was due to like financial reasons. And here's another dumb reason is... I made a goal that I'm not going to purchase a Blu-ray or a DVD or any movie until I've watched, rewatched all of my own personal collection again.
0: Rewatch?
1: Yeah. I was like, I'm going to rewatch everything. And then in, in the course of doing that, sort of doing a Marie Kondo with it, like right, deciding right. which if be I... Like, need, do
0: I ever need to watch this again?
1: Yeah. No. Or even if I do want to rewatch it, do I need to own it? Like... Right. Does it doesn't need to be taking up space. I've only gone one movie into that. <laughs> It's a hard thing to
0: do. It's really hard to get rid of like physical media or just anything like that. It's really hard for me to throw out like stickers and like cool shit. Like I just have like a bunch of like, you know, wizard magazines and stuff. And I'm like, I'm I want to keep this. I can't I like my arm can't physically throw it out. I don't know.
1: Yeah. I'm just having a hard time sitting down and rewatching movies because you have so many streamers and you're like, I want to be, I want to be caught up with everybody else. Ah." And I'm like, I I watched three iron a Korean movie that I love that will definitely, I'll keep that in my collection. But I'm like, I need to get to the next movies.
0: That's the thing too. It's like rare movies you don't want to get rid of. Like we have a copy of Faster Pussycat Kill Kill, which is like never streaming on anything. Right. It's like, I'm not getting rid of it. I I guess I don't. I don't. I. Pr- I don't think I own as many Blu-rays as you, but, I. I used to own a fucking ton of movies and did a similar thing. With what you're doing? Where are you? Where are they going? The ones that you're getting rid of.
1: I don't you know yet.
0: Like, yeah.
1: I. I done this. I don't know if you're if if what if they just throw them away. I've dropped stuff. I've dropped stuff at libraries and just been like, yeah. turn a blind eye. Yeah. Dv DVDs. I don't know what to do with. You know, Amoeba
0: is opening back up in like a really? week. Really? Yeah, they're reopening in on Hollywood Boulevard, like across from the Funko Pop store. If oh, you know where funny. that is, yeah, yeah, yeah. So they're they'll buy your stuff back, probably. We'll you know, see. not not for a ton of money,
1: but yeah, we'll see. I mean, I've definitely um, this before where I've like gotten rid of a bunch of movies. I just know I need to do it again. Yeah. Um, but long, long tangent about that in my journey and through watching a bunch of movies. (laughs) But um, that's the reason I just chose to do the digital. I was like, I can't add another movie. I don't have the money really to donate as much as other people right now, um, just because I have other couple of needs right now that need to be, you know can't can't justify
0: you gotta live your life this
1: documentary yeah yeah <laughs> but it's exciting i mean i definitely i do want to plug also you can uh, just borrow mine too <laughs> yeah i'll borrow yours and watch all yeah, these you'll extra watch interviews it. i guess yeah. <laughs> um which i did i will plug another podcast um if you want to listen to the uh a good conversation with the creators or like the the filmmakers behind the documentary. They were guests on uh, the Hellboy Book Club uh, podcast. I definitely checked that out just to get a feel for what they are like. They're two They're two super fans of Hellboy and been in the industry or a, adjacent to the comic book industry for years. So at least it's in good hands, this documentary. I, the only thing I'm unclear of and I want to be – I would love to know more about It's just like what is the sort of storyline that this documentary is going to tell me about Mignola? That's the only thing. So that's the thing I'm excited for is to yeah. see what the structure of the documentary is once we finally get it. So. Cool. Um, but yeah, again, that's, uh, I mean, you probably can just quickly do a search if you haven't already for the Kickstarter on uh, for Hellboy's creator, Mike Mignola, a la documentary film. It's really just, look up Mike Mignola Drawing Monsters documentary. It's going to get you right there. You only have a couple of hours if whenever you're listening to this, but if it's after the 31st, too late. Yeah. <laughs> I would say this, though, there's a fun little quote, just like uh, Mignola says that this documentary feels like... Going to his own funeral in, in a very good way.
0: <laughs> Everyone's fantasy, seeing everyone sad at your own funeral.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hope they're not We're sad. happy. <laughs> yeah, it's it's very interesting. I, I I'm gonna I wasn't gonna say this on the podcast, but I am gonna say it. <laughs> I'm gonna say it. I know this documentary is gonna be all positive, but I'm very curious. What some people that have stirred up shit against Mignola, like Guy Davis, possibly Arcudi, not as much, would say, or if they're ever going to be interviewed about him at all. I or bet it's like gonna... not
0: so negative that they want to like burn a big bridge. Or For sure. Like
1: that, well, so. go, if you Google, I mean, if you look up Guy Davis's tweets, uh, he sort of is burning a fucking bridge.
0: <laughs> what does he say about him? He's just like. He
1: pretty much says it was to toxic. He said it was oh. a toxic environment. Bummer. Uh Yeah, it is a bummer. But well, like,
0: in a control freak kind of a way or something like
1: that? Like, that's – like- i I'm glad you brought that up. That's the only thing that's hard about those, like, tweets on those, like, cr- those kind of things when it's not, like, yeah. it's not, like, actual, like, harassment that I'm immediately, like, fuck them. But it's, like, oh, toxic. I'm, like, that could mean a different things for everybody mm-hmm. because there are people, like, Mignola, It's like, yeah, he's the sole creator. Like mm-hmm. – I, I would imagine that everybody would have a little thing of like yeah I wanted to do this but mike wanted this right. you either can take that with stride or you can be butt hurt about it because yeah I mean I don't know it's similar just this, this is not- I don't
0: know it's like yeah it's like a collaboration thing like is it but they work together for years right
1: I don't know and I think comic books unfortunately are very complicated I've never made one I've never created one we will in the future uh me and Kate I'm Putting that out in the world, <laughs> at least one issue will do. I swear to yeah. God. Yeah, but we could
0: do one. We could we spit could out fucking one. We can
1: do one. <laughs> but I read something recently because the Falcon and the Winter Soldier just came out, started coming out, two right. episodes in as we speak. I read an article from Brew Baker, who is pretty much for Marvel created Winter Soldier and wrote that yeah. whole run that has inspired everything for the most part in M- MCU. And he talked about how it's very bittersweet. He's like, it's great that people love this character, but we're not getting fucking shit for this because okay. it's like you created it, but you created it within it, it
0: belongs to Marvel. Marvel. Yeah,
1: and I think that's also it's like I I think I, I think that's always going to be complicated with an artist and a creator. Like I think there are relationships in comics, like Invincible. I, I I would have you watched that yet, Invincible.
0: Sorry, I started.
1: I, I started watching it. I thought I it, it, to watch it, it seems good. I loved the comic book. I thought it yeah, was great. Yeah. So, I'm not a big. I mean, sidebar. I'm not the hugest. Like, I'm not wowed by anim- animation. Doesn't do that much. That type of animation doesn't do much for me. So, I don't think I'm the. Stri- I haven't. Seen I don't like have a strong a opinion you, about it.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, but I so I don't want to. I can't speak for it. Positively or negative, it's just more like, oh, what I've watched of it was good.
0: Exists, yeah.
1: I think anybody, unless you're like completely like two people creating it together, you know what I mean? Like the writer, Mm -hmm. like, and that comes a lot from creator-owned comics. And even I think there's probably situations like with Mignola being a creator. I don't know. Like, do some of these artists, like, they're like, I'm glad I got to contribute, but like a little bit of his, like, now I don't have ownership over that. I don't know. I want to have my own thing or a better collaboration that's a little more like give and take. I don't know. I'm very curious about that stuff. Is he definitely in the documentary? I don't think he is at all. I mean, unless, unless, again, I don't have anything. I didn't, I haven't done a deep dive on all the people they're interviewing. I don't know. Yeah. I'm bringing up controversy that probably other fans are like, shut the fuck up about. I don't know.
0: <laughs> um, I don't know. I honestly hadn't heard much about it just because I'm not really on Twitter. Like, so I don't. Well, know. I
1: mean, uh, this is all my knowledge is only coming from Twitter because when when the um, what's his name, Mister Boo himself, uh, Scott, Alley oh, Scott Alley stuff, Scott stuff was coming out. coming out when that came down, pretty much. Guy Davis voiced like, yeah, that's just true. This guy's the worst, but like. Why did he – like he just pointed out like controversially like why did Mignola keep working with them yeah, uh, yeah. And, and all these things that were questionable, which are always questionable about, about an organization or collaborations. Right. Again, there's a lot of cool things that – also there's things that we don't know. We don't know what the relationship is like or what what right. a person – I think you've already voiced. We're not going to go deep dive, but you voiced like people that are sort of actually toxic or, hurt, or people that are – cause harassment – they tend to know how to uh, spin a tail and keep those that yeah, are close to them.
0: It could be like manipulative or like one way around a male coworker and another way around a female coworker. I'm sure that Mignola eventually, at some point, must have seen him acting foolish with female coworkers or whatever, or getting fucking wasted apparently and like running through fountains or whatever the fuck he's doing. <laughs> so, you know, it's like. You do learn about people eventually, but it's, you know, maybe he was professional enough and helpful enough in Mignola's creative process that he kind of ignored what was going on.
1: Right. I, don't, I
0: don't know. Yeah, I don't I know. I can't say, you know, it's I like don't you can't think, say unless I don't, yeah. you're in that room.
1: I don't think any of this will be in the documentary. I think this will be a a, a positive, good. Oh, yeah, no way. From, from the interview. They're not going to be like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, from the interview I've, I listened to on the Hellboy Book Club podcast, They seem very much like fully capable, high quality they're bringing to the table for this documentary. So anybody invested into it, it won't be like a loss by any means. Um, So we'll be excited to have that once it eventually comes together. Um, So that's it. Again, for our listeners that haven't contributed, hey, you got a couple of hours left. If you're listening to this on the 31st, Um, if it's after... Tough shit. Yeah. <laughs> I shouldn't be that cruel.
0: You can borrow ours when we're
1: done. Yeah, there you go. Um, we'll, we'll ship it to you or something yeah. like that. Um, but that's great. Um, check that out. That's, again, Mike Mignola Drawing Monsters documentary on the Kickstarter. And then moving on, that sort of just p- pivots us right into more Mignola slash Hell to Pay segment. There's a couple of things we just wanted to... Um, give a shout out that you should check out or put on your holds. This book, I haven't read this series, but I know, Kate, you have read one of these, Mr. Higgins Comes Home and Our Encounters with Evil Adventures of Professor J.T. Menhart and his assistant, Mr. Knox. Um, One of those two. I I think you've read Our Encounters with Evil, I believe. Yeah. Great. Well, the the two people that did that, which were um, Warwick Johnson Cadwell and Mike Mignola, the collaborators on that, now, they have a third book coming out um, called Falcon Fal- I said that very weird. Spear, Yeah, <laughs> I meaning like Spear. I don't know the details of it, but uh, um, since I haven't checked out those, I'm going to probably just wait for those to come out and maybe read them. I don't know when we'll get to those on this podcast either. I bet we'll eventually read them for this show at some point. Oh, yeah. But it's coming out in October, so you can definitely look up Spear spear f-a-l-c-o-n-s-p-e-r-e um it should be great i mean from what you've told me i think you enjoyed the R encounters with evil correct
0: yeah yeah and the art is just really fun yeah just overall good stuff
1: Great. So everybody, you definitely uh, put that in your pre-orders. That's going to be coming in October of this year. As of today, as we're recording, Lady Baltimore has come out, the first issue of Lady Baltimore, which is part of the Outerverse. In addition to the Hellboy universe, there is now called the Outerverse. I'm not going to get into detail. There's probably a lot of other people out there to write about it, know the details. We have not in this podcast even come close to really uh, diving into the Outerverse. has maybe been teased in some of the storylines we've mm-hmm. we've we've um definitely touched on, but we haven't we haven't really gotten to any of the tells of Outerverse. So I just wanted to give a shout out if you're interested in more Mignola stuff. Lady Baltimore is now out. I believe that's gonna be five issues. And then in addition to this Tales of the Outerverse, um, they have other books that you should put in your holds. Two of the ones I want to just focus on is I don't know how to pronounce this correctly, but Kojakaru, the Skinner, and Imogene of the Warding Way, which, I mean, probably if you have read Baltimore, which I haven't touched on, I have the omnibuses, haven't read them yet, you can shame me all you want, but that's all part of that bigger world of the Outerverse, and um, I'm forgetting uh, Joe Golem. I believe, touches on the Outerverse as well, um, which I've read. So these are just things I just wanted to give a shout-out You know, if you love your Mignola and you like the Outerverse stuff, you should definitely have these on your holds. So when they come out, you'll have them. Hell yeah! I really am digging the cover for Imogene of the Warding Way. I think that cover is really fucking cool. By I believe that's Peter um, Bergting, Berting. Peter Berting, I believe, did that. Very good covers. Oh,
0: can I do a quick addition to like stuff you're putting on your holds? So Cody Ziegler former guest of the podcast is having a couple of things come out. Like he's written a few books. He's got Miles Morales, Spider-Man number 25 is going to be out April 28th. So you can pre-order that. Yeah. So April 28th, uh, look for Cody Ziggler's Miles Morales, Spider-Man number 25. And then he also is doing Heroes Reborn Siege Society number one, which is going to be in May, 2021. I don't have the exact release date for that, but May.
1: Great. yeah. Yeah. And then go back and listen to our episode with Cody. Why not?
0: He's so cool.
1: Nice guy. Writing and for fun. And great, like,
0: podcast guy, you know, just like produces every po- cool podcast and uh, makes a bunch of his own awesome podcasts. Yeah. There you go, go folks. Listen. Cody Ziegler. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Check him out. That was a great Check addition. I love that. Um, and the last thing that we just wanted to plug in more Mignola Hell to Pay is also something that has. In our downtime, has already been spoken about, but you should check it out. as they they are doing a new box set of the Hellboy Omnibus sets. So all those reprints where they they recollected, reordered the Hellboy stories. They're coming out in this cool box set, and it also comes with an art print. Unfortunately, by the time we're recording right now, the art prints are sold out. The color uh, ones. The color ones. You can definitely yeah. get the artist line art edition on Dark Horse Direct. Still at this time. It's great art. So I mean, I've yeah. got a, many of you that are already listening to this have it purchased and can't wait for it to arrive. Um, but it's cool that even though that art print, the box it's in, it's that graphic, I believe, that's decorating the box that the box set sits in. So if you haven't, I mean, this especially is especially a great gift for the future, for the future for a friend. As well as if you don't have those versions, this is a great time to do it because you get this nice. This nice little box to put them in.
0: Yeah, they're really nice looking. <laughs> yeah, it's
1: really good, and I mean that art is very cool. The time, like, what is it called? The, his life and times, um, Hillboy with Dave Stewart. The colors are amazing on that print. Oh yeah. I mean anything with Dave Stewart, man.
0: He's awesome.
1: Yeah. Uh, oh, that
0: old Ultra, uh, not Ultraman. Um,
1: oh, what uh, is it's Mega something? What is it? Ultra Mega, is that what it's called?
0: Ultra Mega, yeah. Yeah, Ultra, Ultra Mega. Mega. Speaking of Dave Stewart.
1: The first yeah, issue came out, came right?
0: Out. Yeah,
1: it's cool. It should it's be on really cool. my holds, but now Secret Headquarters mails me my things. La la la. So, I mean, it just makes it, I mean, I think they just want it so that my holds don't sit around and not get paid for forever. <laughs> but that's fine. I just don't. I, I had to
0: pre-pay for my holds, what I called. Yeah. Maybe they, maybe have a more established relationship. I've been
1: there for years, baby. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, hopefully that will be in my, uh, the, my next shipment when I get yeah. that, which is probably like once a month now.
0: It's so. very cool. It's like super violent. It's like horrific and sad, <laughs> like just prepare yourself. But I mean, James Heron is just a, an amazing artist and, uh, yeah, I look forward to the next few issues. It's a big fat issue too. It's like 40 something pages.
1: Ooh, I love that. Yeah. I did not know yeah. that. I didn't know it it's was that it. big of a thick of a an issue. I guess he, I was he was just like
0: I just wanted to do more of it. He like kind of writes a little bit about why.
1: I love so that. Yeah, I love that because I think sometimes I'm never. I've never. Most comics, I'm not disappointed by their lengths. but mm-hmm. they're, I'm always. Marvel does this to me. They sort of do this to me. Yeah, their first issue of like a new artist or new line. It will be a little thicker and I'll get like really excited. Yeah. And then the next ones that follow storyline are so shorter and I'm always left a little like, oh, I have to wait for oh, the next crap. one. Yeah. <laughs> Thor is Thor right now, which is Donny Katz. He's doing this the storyline named Prey, which I fucking I'm loving. But yeah. that's how every issue is good, but always leaves me going. I wish there was more. Yeah, and I'm like, you fuckers! <laughs> like, why can't you just put a couple more pages? It's part in there? of it, man.
0: It's like we're so spoiled reading all of these like back issues of Hellboy. We could just like burn through a you know whole storyline.
1: You're hundred percent right about in that. One sitting. Yeah, <laughs> we're doing it the easy way. We are. All the real fans are like, you fuckers. We had to I wait waited for these week, every 20- week, every month, <laughs> every month, every <laughs> month. Yeah, but you know what? So that's us. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> But that's great, everybody. If you haven't, if you don't already have Hellboy storylines in your collection and this would help you, I definitely encourage you to get that Om- omnibus set. Yeah. Or give it as a gift to somebody.
0: So, it's real pretty.
1: Very pretty. I would call that, if you don't already have it, a must. Mm. Cool. Well that does it for more Mignola slash hell to pay. But before we get on to murderous intent, we got one more segment for you, folks. And this is one we definitely can't do without all of you out there. This is, oh, boy, email. (laughs) Very cool. Very Very cool. cool. Very cool. Um, This email comes from also another um, podcast host. Um from the screw it, we're just gonna talk about comics um show, which we've had him on twice, Kevin Hines. Um, this email is titled BPRD the warning. So he's talking about the warning um episodes that we just did a couple yeah. episodes back. Now Kevin says, I continue to use your podcast as a great excuse to reread BPRD. Great. Yeah,
0: that's all
1: we want, man. We just want people to reread this stuff with us. So that's wonderful.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> And he says, I love listening to you guys discover and enjoy this great series. I always feel like BPRD never got enough love because Hellboy's shadow is so large. So, anyway, thanks. That's awesome. I really appreciate that. Is awesome. that.
0: Thanks for listening still. <laughs> yeah,
1: thank you. And also, I just, I mean, this is me maybe just being a little self deprecating, but also thank you for saying that because we've never claimed to be experts. And the only thing I think I know somewhat well and have a a strong opinion on is the Hellboy storyline. But I'm glad he's on board with us discovering the BPRD because that's what it is. It's really us. Yeah. We have really – the two of us combined, we have a lot of fresh eyes on this stuff. It's not coming from a place of like, well, we know best and here's what we think. And we've we've been holding on to this close to the chest for so long. It's just us going like – hey, this is fucking cool, and here's what I love about it, and here's what I take away.
0: Our very immediate reaction.
1: Very immediate. As like, we're reading these in the morning,
0: and then recording <laughs> later that morning.
1: I, rec- I usually try to read my at least once me or, too, once or twice before I reread it, before we record. Yeah. But, you know, that's all based on schedule of my day <laughs> and what my wife needs. <laughs>
0: and my wife's needs. Yeah.
1: You know, you got to have a partner that um, keeps you – keeps you away from the oh, dear, comics.
0: Pose, yeah.
1: So you enjoy them more, you know? You enjoy yeah. her more than the comics in your good place.
0: <laughs> Absence makes the <laughs> comics much better. Absence <laughs> from comics.
1: Yeah, there's is, there's is something to that. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> but then Kevin Hines continues. Oh, yeah. He says, "Let's talk about Johan for a moment. I find myself feeling terrible for him throughout this entire arc. He is in a bad place." Yeah. Yeah, he really is. I mean, he 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 continues, but talk about being
0: at your own funeral, oh. like looking at his own body, you know.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's
0: oh. like mourning yourself.
1: And he does it twice, which he'll point yeah. out. It's which yeah. really f- fucked up for him. Yeah. He says, obviously, he's a man trapped as an ectoplasm in a containment suit, which he had gotten used to after a while. Maybe resigned to his state, but after getting a body again. And losing it, he seems lost and alone. Mm -hmm. Oof. Then he says, Abe won't let him go search for Daimyo because he suspects Johan's motivations. And Abe is right. But no one talks to Johan about it. They shut him out. Kate and Liz and Abe are all kind of friends and they're all going through their own stuff and they all probably need help. But Johan, on top of what everyone is feeling, is alone. He isn't friends with anyone. He sits alone or stands in the background a lot of the time. Yeah. It's rereading this. It's hitting me how much I haven't really called out their behavior towards Johan. Cause yeah. Johan has like, and maybe this is adapting like in looking at his behavior when we first meet him on the team and he sort of is joyous cause he's just happy to be like part of a team. And some of his humor comes from that, but they really don't You like you, him pointing out where his dynamic is with everybody. It is like, Oh yeah, he is He's not, he's part of the team, but he is sort of on the outside compared to everybody else. Yeah. I'm feeling really bad for him right now. Yeah.
0: It's like on a team of outcasts, he doesn't fit in, you know?
1: Yeah. That's a bummer. Yeah. (laughs) I'm feeling, I'm almost feeling like I should have, like I'm feeling right now, and this is just like when you read something and you get really into it, I'm feeling like a shitty friend of Johan for not calling out his other friends. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like I didn't stop the comic and go, hey guys. Fucking listen to him. Let I him guess, in. I guess like
0: everybody is tense and they all got a lot go on their plate right <laughs> yeah. now. But yeah, Johan's no exception. It's like every, everybody is having a bad time.
1: <laughs> yeah, it is, shit has hit the fan. Yeah. Um, and then he continues. He says, in issue two of the warning, when Johan asks Abe what he learned, Abe won't answer. Again, Abe doesn't trust Johan. But Johann looks so sad and desperate from the group, excuse me, and separate from the group in that moment. He can't even throw himself into the job. He tries to translate the German, but the German dis- dismisses Johan in favor of speaking English. He tries to contact dead spirits in the ransacked German home, but Abe interrupts him because they find the drawing on the wall. Johann is bodiless, friendless, and now feeling useless. You see him talking to the German soldier taking partial credit for going to the subway, which seems untrue, in a way to make himself feel important in the eyes of a stranger. He's pointing out a lot of little details that yeah. are like really enriching Johan's experience through the storyline. I'm like, again, once again, feeling a little guilty that I didn't catch any of this because <laughs> I'm being a bad friend.
0: That's why oh boy email is so important.
1: Yes, you're right. <laughs>
0: Just po- pointing it out.
1: And he says Munich gets destroyed, his home. So now Johan is losing his past, something that already felt lost to him, but seeing it on fire with where he is right now has got to be extra painful. Mm. Eventually, Johan helps, controlling a big monster in the fight, but it is too little too late. And while helping the soldiers are, are grossed out by him while following Abe happily, Johan is the freak of the freak team. This, yeah. Yeah, that's, that really sad. I'm just going to repeat that because... Yeah, he's totally right about that. Like, we found it cool, but the, the storyline, the people find him gross, which is wild, even yeah. though he's the reason they, I mean, besides the ex a- blasting everything, they get, there's, I mean, it would probably be worse if he didn't take over that giant monster. Yeah. And he says, Johan is the freak of the freak team. This fight is just a distraction for him. He's lost everything. He has nothing. Often, Johan is good for a laugh, his oddness and awkward energy is very happy. But in this arc, it really hit me how sad he must be. Mm-hmm. Poor Johan. Yeah. Yeah. I I I, I you're making he's Kevin's email right here is making me want to reread it and really like give it like a pass for Johan and yeah. pay attention to this. Yeah. Cause he's I think he's right on. And these are the thing I like about the Arcudi and the BPRD and Mignola's writing in this is I think there's a lot of these nuances for every character. You could probably do a pass for each of them and see right. their turmoil. You know what I mean? It, like there's a big event going on, of course, and we love the big picture and the and like, whoa, the destruction and the fights and this and that. But this is like the real, this is what I love, is that there's all these real human moments for all of these yeah, characters.
0: Yeah, very personal things going on for everyone.
1: Woo, <laughs> heavy shit for Johan. Yeah. Um, And then he lastly just tells us, keep up the great work. Oh, thanks. Yeah, thanks, Kevin. We really appreciate it.
0: Especially for another guy who does great podcasts. Yeah, exactly. Stuff like that. Yeah, thank you.
1: Thank you. And everybody should check out his podcast that he does with his brother, Will Hines, which is Screw It. Let's just, well, Screw it. We're just going to talk about comics, um, which started out as Screw We're just going to talk about uh, Spider-Man, yeah. um, which we got the pleasure of going on. But his their podcast is really fun. They're going through old stuff. And it's really coming from the point of view of rekindling like your love as a kid and um, yeah. re exploring those storylines. It's really cool. Yeah. Um, it's a great show. Definitely check it out if you're into, if you're listening to this and you're just in general into comic books. So. Yeah. Great. Um, Thanks again, Kevin. All right. That's it for our segments. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> Woo. I'm going to hand it over to you, Kate. We're going to get into. This um, short storyline, The Murderer, or not The, but just Murderous Intent.
0: Murderous Intent, yeah. Uh, So it's a short story. And the interesting thing about it, one of the interesting things about it is it was first published in MySpace Dark Horse Presents number 16 in November 2008. So it was like published online. Uh, For, through, like, MySpace, which I was like, that's crazy. Yeah,
1: because it's, it's very crazy because MySpace, I, I don't know the dates, but it had a short life.
0: Yeah, I feel like by 2008, it would have been, like, fizzling out. Like, this would have been, like, the last year of big relevance. Although it had, like, a little moment of, like, in 2019 where it was like, is MySpace going to come back? <laughs> People, I guess, were fed up with Facebook, like, destroying democracy and shit. And they were like, maybe let's give MySpace another chance.
1: Maybe just get offline. (laughs)
0: Yeah, maybe unplug and start
1: a commune.
0: (laughs) But yeah, this was released uh, uh, online on MySpace. Written by Mike Mignola. Illustrated by Ben Stenbeck. Colored by Dave Stewart. Lettered by Clem Robbins, edited by Scott Alley. Boo, as we've said. Boo. Um, yeah, and yeah, like I said, published November 2008. In the version that I was reading in Witchfinder Volume 1, Yola says a little bit about, he's kind of talks about Witchfinder in general and like liking these like Victorian occult detective characters since he was a kid and all of this stuff. And the, But then he specifically talks about murderous intent. On the following pages, you'll find two short stories. The first of these, murderous intent appeared online and was sort of a warm-up for Ben and me working together. It was intended as an Ed Gray teaser to explain why the series would be called Witchfinder. And speaking of Witchfinder, Henry Hood, coin-eyed living corpse, first appeared in Hellboy's series Darkness Calls, just as the Hellboy world needed a 30s pulp hero and Victorian occult detective I felt it needed its own relentless, corrupt, 17th century precursor, to, uh, excuse me, persecutor of witches. <laughs> Hood is modeled after a real-life witchfinder, General Matthew Hopkins. And he talks about Hood there for a minute. But yeah, it just kind of talks about how this issue that we're about to read, Murderous Intent, was sort of like a way of working with Ben Stenbeck. He didn't want to, Mignola didn't want to draw this, he was interested in this character, but didn't want to draw any more he specifically mentions like wheels, like Victorian, like wheels on a, on a, like a coach, like a horse drawn coach. <laughs> I guess he was sick yeah. of it from drawing Dracula.
1: I love that. I love that. That's yeah. what deterred him is wheels. Right. He was
0: like, I'm just sick of this. I don't feel like drawing it. And then somebody comes along and feels like drawing all of these like ornate Victorian, like houses and decorations and stuff like that. So I thought that was like a funny <laughs> intro beforehand. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I
1: was just going to say in this one storyline, I think there's only one panel which has like a carriage and wheels in the background. It's like not like it's not like this story is at least this teaser. I don't know about the rest of which finder will find out is yeah. full of carriages.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, you have a couple, you know, you have the spooky Victorian house right off the, the bat with the title murderous intent. So you get like a nice creepy feeling. I even like how the blackness of the sky in the background sort of has like a hatching yeah. like a cross hatching kind of feel. It almost makes it feel like a woodcut or something like that and yeah. it puts you in that it puts you in that time period a little bit more. It's cool. Yeah,
1: I like Ben's St- like I'm I'm I, I was going to save this but I was just, I just want to point out as we Go into the story. I, I think Ben Sick's great. I think I was a little lukewarm on him uh, besides a couple of uh, of things and details in the the, the first storyline we read of his, which was the uh, the Johan story um, about when he got his containments or when he became a spirit, if you remember. Yes. I cannot think of the name off the top of my head. I'm having the hardest time right now. <laughs> but everybody knows what storyline I'm thinking of last season. I really like this one. And I know it's not even the Witchfinder series, which he's going to completely manage as the artist but this one really made me this one more than that really won me over on ben stenbeck i don't I know what He it. does a
0: great job with his he does like a great bunch of gnarled witches like yes these like you know <laughs> kind of like loose picket fence teeth and shit like uh <laughs> i think he does great like it, even in this first panel where we see the mouth of one of the witches start to like first Queen Victoria. Yeah. Just the shadow is really cool on there. I really like that. This sort of like lit from below, specifically like the way that the cracks in her upper lip are illustrated. I was like, this is looks really good. I agree. Yeah. So it's like executed technically well and it sets a mood. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, I think it's cool. It, it, the story is basically like these three witches, two sisters and another, witch. Uh, we have Mary. And Elizabeth Washbrook and Sarah Webb, the witches of Farnham, uh, are trying to assassinate Queen Victoria by placing a curse on her. They have a picture of her, which I wonder in Victoria in Victorian times it would have been really hard to get a picture of anyone, right?
1: I don't. That's a good question. I didn't even feel like this would be a
0: tough thing to get. Like even if it was like illustrated or something.
1: I think you're right because I don't know how much you would be reprinting anything in that age.
0: Yeah. I was I forget the painting. Well, like it was like this thing of like these little cards of like well-known paintings used to be like distributed and sold throughout the UK, I guess, of like famous paintings that like you didn't have to go to London to see what the painting was. I, I, I forget exactly what painting I'm thinking about for this, but it was like a thing where they were passed around. So maybe like pictures of the Queen were sold somewhere. (laughs) to be like this is our queen this is what she looks like even though you're a peasant and you're like never gonna leave this like 10 mile radius i don't know but it made me think of that i was like yeah i wonder like (laughs) if this is like illustrated or like whatever but they're like you know consecrating it with evil and calling forth all these great like demonic names puziel guziel (laughs) cdl priziel like you know just calling to like Put poisonous water in her belly and do all these horrible things and fill her mouth with fire and stuff. <laughs> and then we see Edward Grey walk, like, kind of walking through this dilapidated mansion with spider webs all over everything. We get some, like, banisters. That's Victorian.
1: Oh, I think, I think you're right. You're yeah, right. Yeah, we get some,
0: some, like, window adornments and shit. Yeah. <laughs> I like this little cauldron, too, that he does with, like, the etchings, like, very Mignola y symbols. Yeah.
1: I like it. I just like that detail like because I think we could easily get a classic cauldron but one that has like actual markings on it makes it far more creepy and magical and ominous.
0: Seems like imbued with this evil spirit, you mm-hmm. know, these like nefarious looking runes on there and stuff like that. Yeah. So yeah, they're just like wishing it to be done that Victoria dies, and you see a hand emerge from the the smoking cauldron, and then Edward busts you know bust in there like or appears in the doorway i, I was guess, like, i don't with think he busts drunk. in i like that yeah, he's, he's a, not
1: he's very confident kind of sneaking up
0: <laughs> he's pointing the gun at them he's like enough not another word don't move and of course they start moving and the thing that's coming out of the cauldron is like reaching for the photo which, which i guess will like seal the deal on queen victoria's fate if it reaches that picture and yeah edward shoots one of the witches one, the one who's holding the picture the other which is like transform into crows like uh and start to try to fly away. Edward has great aim. He fucking blasts one of these crows right in the middle. <laughs> and the picture of Queen Victoria with its own like runes drawn all over it is like kind of floating around. The cauldron spills and the contents are like all over the ground and something is still emerging from that goo as though like as though like some kind of swamp creature or something oh. it's like very gooey and and the the evil spell thing being is still reaching for the photo and it almost reaches it and its hand has a big mouth on it like have you ever seen like Sa- the santa cruz like sir, skateboard company has this hand that was like has been their logo for a long time I don't like think if, so. if you're at like santa cruz hand it's just a blue hand with a mouth in the middle it looks very similar to this it's which is kind of funny. When I saw it, I,
1: that's what I thought of. Oh yeah, I just looked at yeah. it, it as the first thing. That's so funny. Yeah. And it's like reaching for it. <laughs> this you're saying they're just going to this this is, they're not even trying try to assassinate the queen, they're just trying to get her to fucking do a half pipe.
0: <laughs> yeah, they're just trying to escape. <laughs> so dumb. Yeah, it's just <laughs> I like that uh, you know, you got these great kind of yellowed teeth in the mouth of this hand yeah. in the in the
1: gums the, i love the, yeah, the, detail these of the gums. sickly
0: gums and but edward gray at the last second snatches the picture but the hand grabs his wrist and the mouth on the hand bites his oh. wrist it's crazy yeah pretty gross the last um the last living witch we see it. With this great, like, orange color, which is like a big deviation from the kind of blues and greens that we see on the previous panels, mm-hmm. continues to call the demons by their names and says something in an ancient language that we don't know. She turns into a harpy. <laughs> and as you know, as the cauldron thing is still grabbing Edward, he finally is able to shoot the last remaining witch. She instantly, like, deteriorates, turns to dust, her bones clatter onto the floor, and it, like, dispels the magic that they were doing, so the thing is no longer on his wrist. But Edward Grey has a pretty gnarly-looking cut on his wrist, the inside of his wrist from from the demon that was coming out of the cauldron which is ugh, <laughs>
1: yeah oh
0: bad place to get bit
1: yeah i mean ugh.
0: and we see like over that there's like narration boxes over this whole fight of just i guess like set like holy sounding words uh you should if they are in the service to the devil spare us o lord from all evil from mischief from sin and from crafts uh, or from the crafts and assaults of the devil good lord deliver us uh, which is like the last thing it said as the witches are totally, totally defeated. They're all like bones in dust on the ground. And mm-hmm. then he you see a shot of him or a panel of him outside the Victorian house looking at the, you know, flames just rising up. I guess he lit the whole house on fire to, you know, free it from the evil that was <laughs> occupying it.
1: Yeah, there's, that house is, is useless now.
0: <laughs> right. It's like, better just get rid of this whole shebang. We don't want any last remnants of evil <laughs> coming back out. Um, and then we have some nice little, like, narr- like kind of boxes narrating. On March 11th, 1879, Edward Gray, late of West Sussex, but recently appointed Her Majesty's London agent for the investigation of occult matters, was knighted. And you see a, a panel of Queen Victoria saying, Sir Edward Gray. So now we know how he was knighted. Mm-hmm. For special services in the protection of crown and country. And while the exact nature of his services would never be revealed to the public, rumors would circulate and the man would acquire the unofficial and unwanted title witch finder, which is spoken by a police officer who sees him <laughs> walking down the street. He, he looks pretty haunted, Edward Gray, you know, he's walking by and like this like constable or whatever is talking to like some aristocratic looking people, some like well-dressed Victorian people, like, the guy has a monocle and a cane, and the woman has, like, this nice dress. And he just says... He, like, interrupts their conversation to be like, Witchfinder.
1: Ooh. (laughs) Yeah.
0: So you get the impression that he's, like, a little notorious or whatever. Yeah. So it's super interesting. I'm excited to read more about it. Have you... Were you ever big into, like, Sherlock Holmes or, like, detective stories or anything like that?
1: I I could never call myself big into it. If I... I mean, I watch... I watched. I've never read a short story of like his. I've watched some of the movies, like the Robert Downey yeah. Jr., which are probably. I I guess uh, people like them. I don't know. I I thought they were entertainment.
0: I haven't seen them.
1: I I they got that I'm guy like, rich. I'm not touch. like
0: against them. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. And, I feel like
0: I would give them a watch at
1: some point. Uh, I mean, I watched the BBC updated one with Bene- Benedict Cumberbatch. Oh yeah, I yeah. I have that never was watched season three. Yeah, I liked the first two a lot. The first two yeah. seasons. But again, I can't, I never, I, I could not, I, I'd be lying if I said, like, I'm totally into Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> yeah. I think he's a very I, interesting character.
0: Yeah. I think, like, the idea in general of, like, an occult detective sounds appealing. I personally have never, like, Mignola in the in the afterword of The Witchfinder Volume 1 uh, kind of talks about being obsessed with, like, various, I guess there were, like, Several of these, like besides Sherlock Holmes, it's or, well. I guess like Sherlock Holmes isn't like specifically a cult.
1: Yeah, because I feel like Sherlock Holmes from the stories I know about, it's more like they seem to be a cult, but really there's just yeah. like science behind it breaking down. Whereas... He's sort of like the Scooby Gang. Yes, that's a great way to put it. He pulls back. The I mask. like Scooby Doo. Does that count?
0: <laughs> uh, yeah. Dude, Scooby-Doo on Zombie Island is a good movie, and you guys should watch it.
1: All right, there we go. Uh, I think
0: okay. it's on Netflix right now, or it's somewhere. It's somewhere right now.
1: It's, it's always and somewhere.
0: <laughs> yeah, so funny. It's a good movie.
1: That's great to hear. <laughs> yeah, I auditioned once a long time ago, early days of Hollywood, uh, when I didn't, <laughs> when I was, ja- when I was not jaded. Um, it was
0: 1910. <laughs> I went in
1: and audition to do to do like the mocap. For a Scooby-Doo movie as Scooby-Doo, oh, I had I got like I, I think I went for, to a callback for,
0: for the live-action movies.
1: I it might have been still like like
0: for like the ones with like
1: no, it was like for TV. It was after those oh, two okay. big movies. It would have been either for like. A live action TV or like not live action, but like probably CGI version. I can't remember. I'd How have to did look
0: at Do you remember anything about that audition? Did you have to wait? I just
1: remember. Like, no. I literally was in a room just doing physical stuff. They asked. I, I did went, you have to do the voice? Yeah, you had to like sort of make the voice. I went as far as getting a callback and going on to the Paramount, yeah. Paramount lot and going ah. into a room and doing it. Didn't book it, of course. And it's been downhill for my career ever since. But. <laughs> <laughs> uh but yeah <laughs> i did do that that sounds very it was super silly and like, like rolling over it. and yeah acting like a dog and you know i mean in a there's, high stakes the, there's audition.
0: a there's a lifespan for how long you could do it like my knees would not allow me to mocap a dog on the ground <laughs> anymore i could do it when i'm 23 but i can't do it now yeah
1: i'd be asking for knee pads i'd be like give me some fucking yeah knee pads. It's,
0: for real.
1: Yeah, but it really so fun. Funny. It was fun. I wish it would have been a fun gig to get, but didn't, it wasn't in Bummer. the cards. No. <laughs> uh, but turning back to the, the murderous intent, I, I mean, I any f- favorite moments, favorite um, panels, anything from Ben Stenbeck and Dave Stewart in here? We already touched on some of it at the beginning of the details and the witches and... I love I love all the witches. I think all the witch work with color and line work is
0: yeah perfect. Yeah, I think just that first panel we see of the witch's mouth really impressed me with just how he's rendering the shape of that witch's head. I think it just looks good. And then, um, yeah, I mean, the hand emerging from the cauldron too is really nice. Just like a nice moody thing. Like I can see why they picked him as the artist for this.
1: Yeah, I agree. I it, it it's full of great paint. I really am a big fan of almost every panel that has like a close look on either the witches, or especially I love the the one that's the hand holding the picture of the queen. I love all yeah. the detail on the nail. The nail looks almost wooden. It's oh, yeah, I love all of that. And even the I like the witch
0: disintegr- the harpy witch disintegrating at the end, I yeah. think is cool. That like corner panel.
1: Yes, that is very cool. Yeah. It's so creepy. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I really love the hand coming out of the cauldron. I think that's such a fun, simple but creepy visual. Hell yeah. And just Dave Stewart's choice to make that that colder blue to differentiate mm-hmm. it from mm-hmm. the, the room and the coldness of the room is so good.
0: He's always so good at that, like doing like using one color sparingly, but it's still not so jarring because his like his blams, like his loud gunshots are in like a lighter orange. And then when the witch is yelling this like evil incantation, like calling these demons forth and stuff, that's in that bright orange color, too. So it's like makes sense, like this loud Jarring noise is in its uh, its own kind of color. Like it has its own color assigned to it. Yeah. And then the spooky house and the, the witches, it feels like you're walking into something cold, but their eyes are glowing with like this evil, loud orange color, you know? Yeah. Like it, it's just so much thought behind it. Like coloring is so hard. I, I think, you know, you take it for granted a lot, but like color theory and shit, like this stuff is so hard. Try to color just anything. It's fucking hard, dude.
1: <laughs> uh, that's why I've never tried. <laughs>
0: yeah. Well, when I get you that black and white line art poster, you'll have to color that in with like crayons.
1: I'll ruin that fine art for you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I do want to just go back to the very first panel because I think this is what... You've already spoken about this first page and I think the this speaks to everything on this. I think the layout is... For just a short introductory tale, I think there's it's it's so perfectly condensed and it like sets us up for this character we're going to follow very well. But uh-huh. I love that it does that in three or four panels. I love the mood of that exterior. Then I love that it sets us up to there's, there's this sort of fun formality to which finder I'm going to expect
0: Right. with right. how
1: it's laid out with just text on saying how an attempt was made to assassinate her majesty queen of Victoria of England on February 6th. 1879 by Mary Yeah, the, the
0: language of it is going to be very much like the written stories that Mignol is referencing in the afterward, or for, I guess forward to this, but afterward to the rest of Witchfinder.
1: Yeah. And I think that's very cool to set that up right there. And then that close up on the witch with her language, and then just that more spooky occult, like we're up against some evil shit, like that graveyard. I think that graveyard yeah. shot is so cool.
0: I think, too, it sets up a tone for the character himself. Like, Edward Grey, it seems like, is a quiet guy. He doesn't even acknowledge these people who are, like, gasping when they see him as he walks down the street. He's keeping to himself. He's probably a pretty solitary figure. He can, like, keep a secret, a huge secret. You know, there's nothing really silly about him. And then when it's, like, action time, he can deliver. Like he can shoot a crow flying away and shoot a harpy and get bitten by a demon and, and like go to work. (laughs) Yeah. And I think you get a sense of who this guy is too.
1: I think you're nailing that a lot. And to add to that, that's what I think I love is like, we're used to like, even though I think the first time we saw him really in action was in the drowning. We saw him descend from a fucking hard air balloon it wasn't like yeah but I mean that's action but it was just him in bigger action but he has a sense in this different to Hellboy who's sort of like a brute force and when he uses his gun he's just using it like as another extension of his brute force yeah but this which when when Edward Gray walks into this room with these witches he's so calm right and he just has his gun ready to go and then he doesn't he just fires off his first like shots with such confidence. It's totally right. different than any other character we've yet... He has to be a better
0: shot, too, because he's vulnerable. Like, mm-hmm. we see that hand fucked his wrist up, and so he has to be a better shot Yeah, Hellboy.
1: Yeah. I think that's... All that detail you're, you were calling out, Kate, is very cool to establish for this character and differentiate him from all of the rest of the verse sort of heroes. Yeah. I think you're right on with that. I love that yeah. hand. That hand on that fucking uh-huh. disgusting, really great. What were was, you going to say?
0: Yeah, nasty. <laughs> oh, just the, uh, in the second to the last panel, we see him just walking down the street. And I think that this is such a great expression because it's, it's like, it's not an extreme expression and it's not super close up or anything. But I think that there, that it gives you the sense that this is like, he's like gaunt, pale. And looks, like, haunted a little bit. He looks like he's preoccupied in thinking about things that, like, he's not thinking about these people literally talking about him right there. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. he's, like, thinking about other <laughs> evil shit. <laughs> it's cool.
1: Yeah, it is very cool. The other thing that this this one short story gave me was, I have never read something that's so short, so precise, that made me go, you know what? I think Sam Raimi should direct a witch finder. (laughs) Like the the, the, the style of the witches the the action. There's sort of like everything in this issue, this one little short issue of storyline. It made me think
0: of like drag me to hell or
1: something. It made me think of drag me to hell. It made me think of (laughs) evil dead. It made me think of army. I was like, if this is what I have to say, if Dr. Strange in the in the uh, multiverse of madness, it brings Sam Raimi back. I hope.
0: Is he going to direct that?
1: Yeah, he's currently slated for it.
0: I wouldn't mind a Sam Raimi Hellboy.
1: Oh, I would. I'd be down. But I'm gonna... I mean,
0: the you know, say what you will about those Spider Mans; they're goofy as hell. But I mean, some of, sometimes he makes the right decisions for it. Like, it's a flavor. It's a it's specific a flavor. It's definitely a flavor.
1: I mean, I love Army of Darkness. I'm not a fan of Spider-Man's, but I'm not going to knock him down for that.
0: Oh, yeah. Army of Darkness and Evil Dead 1 and 2 are like, that's the, that's the shit.
1: Yeah, I love that. And I think yeah. that's what Witchfinder could have. And it would be a good comp- uh, like, thing if he could like ground Witchfinder with that. What we've already pointed out about his own character. But then when he's up against this evil, it gets fucking crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's all. That's my pitch. I think. Give
0: him a low budget. Give him, like, no money and see what.
1: So see what does. does? I would yeah. love that. But that's my pitch. I think he should direct Witchfinder. Uh, from what <laughs> off of this first thing we've read.
0: <laughs> did you watch the Snyder cut? <sighs> yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I couldn't watch the whole thing, dude. I got like maybe like an hour in, and I was like, I'm gonna skip through and just yeah watch the parts that make me that like catch my eye on the little preview.
1: Yeah, I mean, um, you, yeah. Uh, everybody's just like it's better than the Josh Weed one. Yeah, that's a given. Who cares? They're totally different people that artistically are completely different.
0: I, I remember so little about the Josh Weed version anyway. Like, it's dumb. and I'm like, do I even want to read? Like, I can't even watch this for, better version.
1: Yeah, it's it's all just bloated. It's all bloated. I mean,
0: bloated as hell, dude. That's a great word
1: for and it. And Zach's. I mean, I think this is this is the best way I could put it. When somebody asked me about a post I did about making fun of it, they're like, <laughs> "So it's, you wouldn't recommend it?" I'm like, "Look, I'm not going to discourage anybody to watch it because
0: if you're curious about it, watch
1: it. Yeah, and also or try. I think Snyder fans love it. That's just a good given. It's they're going to love it because it is just Snyderisms, yeah. fucking wall to wall. But then I think the rest of us. We'll watch it and just have our various opinions. You know what I mean? Because to me, it does nothing for me. The best way I could put it is like, and this is online, whatever, and it's pointless. But like, if you try to make every moment a moment, there's no longer any moments.
0: I read this great, I forget who wrote this review, but it was somebody on Letterboxd. And they were like, every part of it feels like he's directing it to be a trailer, Like every moment is has this gravity to it where it's like that could be potentially in the trailer and it's four fucking hours of it. And it's daunting to watch like it's and it's just like unfun. Like for me, I was like, he just sucked all the color out of comic books, like all the shit that makes like superhero comics fun, you know, like, yeah, go read Superman. It's silly as hell. It's color like I love like I mean, you know, this is probably like a m- nostalgia thing, but like the Superman animated series and shit like
1: yeah.
0: I thought it was such a great like companion to the Batman animated series because it was like bright. It was like this bright, sunny version, super colorful, had like r- great distinct characters. Superman like had a personality and wasn't just like a bunch of godlike figures kind of like. Posing at each other, I, I don't know. She was so boring to me.
1: I agree. Steppenwolf
0: looks so gay in the comics. I wish he looked like that. I don't
1: know. <laughs> yeah, that'd be much better. I love that. Yeah, I I agree with you. And I, to add to that, um, what I was gonna say is that I I I would argue that I think if he if the way Snyder just directs, if yeah. if if he would just infuse his storylines. With some fucking like levity, some fucking light, like you said, like color, and some like virtue. I wanted a, a Superman that was like sort of like just born good. like I'm not I'm just it doesn't do anything for me. people other I know there's a big there's a big nerd like part of the corner or readers that 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 look at Superman and find him immediately born because he's inherently good. And I don't. There are I don't.
0: Of, there are plenty of Superman stories that delve into that and like deviate from it.
1: But, but I also don't find him boring because he's good. Why is that? Oh, a yeah. Boring, yeah. Like every, he's like it's like now it's like ugh, every character has to have a dark side and we have to show it. And I'm like, I don't need every character to break fucking bad. yeah like fuck off he i so i think if you infused it with that what i love about superman being somebody it's like no i never even gave a thought of being the bad guy and you gave him that and showed his his like and put it in the snyder world i think it could i i would be better more on board
0: i'm just like not huge into snyder that's all i'm
1: not either so it's just like he has one movie i'll go to bat for and that is it so what, Sucker Punch? No, fuck that. I, didn't, just I don't kidding. think I can watch it. Um, I don't think I've ever finished that one. But no, I will go to bat. I have. I will go, bat, I will go to bat for his Dawn of the Dead. I think Dawn of the Dead is a fucking okay. good movie. Yeah. And it's him before he gets fucking out of control with slow motion. Yeah. And I don't know how anybody couldn't catch that. Like, hey, man, if you're doing everything in slow motion, when Flash goes to slow it no longer has any meaning. Right. There's no way to it whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just whatever. You know, Snyder's going to do what Snyder does. It doesn't do anything for us. Somebody yeah. out there's plenty of fucking people that love it. <laughs> I
0: mean, yeah, like go for it. I didn't know all that sad shit about his daughter, dude.
1: I mean, that sucks ass. That's the worst. It's
0: hor- I, I didn't realize. I was like, how come you stopped directing this? Like, I didn't know any of that shit. I was like Googling all of it. I was like, this is fucking horrible.
1: I, I mean, it's more on Warner Brothers for just like, they should have waited. Also, it's. I'm baffled by the behind the story seems so like behind the scenes of that movie seems so muddled because I'm like
0: seems like a mess.
1: I'm like they they Josh Whedon shot or Joss, Joss, whatever the fuck his name is yeah. that guy that problematic man shot more <laughs> shot other footage but then yeah. also it feels like when you watch the Saxoniders you're like there was so much other footage that he was not used I'm like right, right. it feels like even when he stepped I away the shot movie a was little almost bit done more. yeah. Yeah, they shot more. I mean, I'm gonna. Okay, you got me going. Uh, (laughs) That's. Oh no. Fuck. Fuck. Fuck this. I'm gonna be real controversial now. (laughs) Every person online claiming that that Batman Joker scene is the best ever can fuck off. That scene. Who says that?
0: Somebody said that.
1: Apparently, it's not really true. It's just what they're spreading online. But that scene is so poorly written. It's so convoluted. It uh, the best. It feels like a student film apocalyptic. Like, student film.
0: So, like, the whole deal with that is what? Is that's like, that's a dream that Batman had. Yeah, premonition. Of a, of a, of a, of another, like.
1: What if Darkseid, like, succeeds? If the
0: universe, like, branched off and that's, like, one of the possibilities that happened or could happen or something like that. Yeah. Where, like, Lois dies and that one thing makes Superman evil. It's. And again,
1: M- like MCU is not perfect by any means. I like the yeah. MCU. It's not perfect. You can you could probably i probably can't defend it as if you got me in a corner i'd probably just be like cool i still like it <laughs>
0: you could just enjoy an imperfect thing you are yeah. like allowed
1: to but do but yeah. i would argue that like they did similar things like that where they like had the scarlet witch who is now the scarlet witch but um mm-hmm. uh, uh wanda wanda like implant like or like not implant but like go into like Tony Stark's mind and sort of display for him his real fears. And then yeah. that became like that, that fault, that premonition, which wasn't like exact premonition, was just something that fueled us and gave us as an audience a thread to be like, that's what his worst fear is and what he's, what we're driving towards is him wanting to not, he's wanting to work so hard to avoid that. Right. But right. in this version, Snyder's, it's so sloppily done that just like what it's like tacked on at the end and you're like what the fuck
0: well it's like is batman really scared of that like he i think he likes that kind of shit like he's fucked yeah up i forget
1: like, i agree he's he, batman is fucked up and they forget about that part of it
0: it's like it, it's like um preppers or something it's like a fantasy you kind of want the world to end batman's the ultimate prepper <laughs> he's got a fucking basement with a giant. i would I, you know i would have i would have forgiven everything about this movie if if the bat cave had a big giant penny in it <laughs>
1: <laughs> i would have been like that's a good movie that's a good movie it has the penny in the <laughs> rex he's got
0: the big penny <laughs> he's got a t-rex down there
1: Oh, I love that. I well, I think we came to the conclusion that we never want just Zack Snyder to touch Hellboy or the Witchfinder or BPRD. Yeah.
0: no, no way. <laughs> no this way.
1: tangent, I brought it back.
0: Tangent complete.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I mean, I, again, we could probably, really I'm on board to see what Ben Stenbeck is going to bring to yeah, the series. Yeah, super
0: excited to see.
1: Um, so we will be getting to that later in the season, of course, the first storyline, which is called In the Service of Angels. It won't be yet, but that's our I mean, I guess that that's it. I don't do you have any suggestions or anything? I think I was just gonna go watch some Sam Raimi. Since yeah. I, I kind of equated it immediately Since we're to talking that. about it. Oh, I'm gonna say this. Yeah, I, what? It's something that I watched recently. It's directly with witches. Do you I, have a
0: letterbox to count by the way? I'm sorry. Yes,
1: I do. You can follow me. It's I it's like find Hobbit one three eight classic okay. thing on my everywhere. But I re I I probably have never seen this movie, so I'm gonna call it I Watched, even though I'd probably seen scenes of it growing up. I watched in full The Witches of Eastwick. Fucking loved
0: it. Oh, yeah. Witches of Eastwick is cool. I have to rewatch that, It's too. great.
1: It's, a while. it's great genre filmmaking. It's imperfect, but it beca- it's imperfect. It's imperfections make it perfect. It's George, I didn't realize it's George Miller behind Mad Max.
0: Oh, really? Yeah. I mean, you just can't get more charismatic than the three of them. I think they're just so good.
1: They are. I was blown away how good they yeah. are. Susan yeah. Sarandon, Cher, and Michelle Pfeiffer – and you get a lot of scenes where the camera isn't not cutting around performances. It's just letting you sit with them all three on camera together. Yeah. And then Jack Nicholson is just at his quirky fucking best. It's yeah. so good. Peak weirdo. Yes, I loved it. I hundred, And this is perfect. Witchfinder. And the movie's wacky because it just has like things where I was like, when I finished the movie, I was like, wait, so those women didn't realize they were witches, and that is the point, point. and it's like, yeah. great, okay.
0: I gotta re to it, it's been a few years since I watched it.
1: It's on HBO oh, Max. Oh, you know what, I did watch
0: Possessor, the movie you mentioned a couple what,
1: weeks ago. What'd you think?
0: It was cool, uh, although my review of it was like, I've hated jobs before, but damn, like, <laughs> this guy, uh, you know, right. these two hate their job. they got bad jobs. Because I guess that's kind of like, the thesis of it, I mean, skip ahead of a- Couple of little 15 second clips if you don't want to hear about Possessor. It's a really cool movie, but it's like, I guess that's it. It's like your job infiltrating your whole life or like taking over. And then also kind of like about like privacy and how mm-hmm. there's none of that anymore.
1: I was, I was even, I wasn't even darker. The way it left me was even darker.
0: How do you think?
1: I thought that that. Uh, you're, I'm going further with your your thesis. Yeah. Is that the main character, and again, spoiler for everybody, the main character wanted free of it her family and could not yeah. do it on her own. Well, she
0: is practicing her lines to yeah. her family in a way that she you see her prepping to be these other people. So even her like family self is not her true self. Yeah. And at that point it's like, is it because she's hooked up to these nodes and like going into people's brains? And that's Like, has she lost herself through doing that? Or was she never there and needed that as an outlet? It's a very interesting movie. I really watching it.
1: And it's fucked up because her boss has to step in and sort of make the choice, force her to make a choice, but also make it for her. And you're just, like, left in such a weird It was
0: nasty, dude. That shit, that scene at the end, I was like, it made me, like, nauseous a little bit, not because of just, it's, like, not just the violence, but it's, like. It reminded me of when I was watching Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer. I was like, this feels very real and very, like, visceral. And, like, you know, like, sometimes violence is, like, silly or it's so exaggerated that it's, like, who gives a shit? Mm-hmm. Or, like, it's, like, Superman cutting off Steppenwolf's horn and you're like, who cares? <laughs> this is all CGI. I don't care. But, like, in, you know, I think in Possessor, it's like, you can feel it. It, like, turns your stomach.
1: I agree. Yeah, <laughs> I'm glad you watched it.
0: Yeah. Oh, I saw a really weird movie that's barely a movie called Buffalo Juggalos, and it's wow. like basically like an art movie where they're just sort of like video portraits of different juggalos in Buffalo, New York. It's uh, I I'm not like an ICP fan, you know, not to disparage, insane Cloud posse or whatever. Like, uh, it seems like something that people get really into and like find a community doing it, which is like. You know, knock yourself out if that's if that's if that's helpful to you and fulfilling for you and stuff. That being said, some shit in this movie was crazy and like (laughs) it's like a half hour long. It feels like forever because you're just like staring at some juggalos doing stuff that they like to do or whatever. Yeah, it's just bonkers. And at one point, my mouth like dropped open because some of the crazy shit that was happening in the movie. But like you know, if it's a kind of it feels like kind of like an art film. 'Cause there's like no talking in it whatsoever. It's not a documentary. If you're if you're in the mood for something really weird, or if you've ever been like, I wanna stare at a juggalo, but I feel rude, then <laughs> you should watch Buffalo Juggalos.
1: I remember watching a short documentary about that juggalo, like there was a documentary a couple years ago about The
0: Gathering. The
1: gathering or wherever yeah. they have that big festival and that yeah. was that was wild. I was yeah. just like, This culture is this subculture is beyond me it's, it's
0: very specific it's like you know it's like just mostly like poor people getting really fucked up on drugs or like you know hey, a, lot doing <laughs> a lot of crazy shit a lot of fago yeah i like know a lot about it for not being in it i Have guess you, i i don't know
1: you should read amount. if you haven't you should look up um there's did you ever you've heard about how they came out as christian right
0: no, no, oh. I, don't, I, don't,
1: I, I That's the thing. I
0: know more about juggalos than about insane clown posse. I mean, it's. I guess it's not weird to me that they would identify as Christian. That seems. But it was a trick. That almost makes sense. I don't know.
1: They they claim it was. Are a they atheist? No, like, they're like full on. It's why. Okay, there's a book called Lost at Sea. You uh-huh. can, or you could probably just find the article. But I John, mean, I'm
0: not gonna read a book about these guys. No, 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 no. It's in this book. This is a book <laughs> okay, of essays. Okay. Oh, I, I see. I see. I see.
1: There's so um. Sorry. To... His name is John Ronson, uh-huh. and he interviews them, and it's like the first. The article is called. <laughs> the article is called "Have You Ever Stood Next to an Elephant, My Friend?" But he literally interviews the um, Violent J and Shaggy Do Dote. Isn't it too dope? Too dope, yeah. He interviews both of them after they came out as Christian and it was a huge surprise to a lot of their fans uh-huh. and he like questions them. He's like, well, what about these lyrics about rape and all these things? He's like, they're just like, it's a joke. But we made this, they claim that is they a really crea- funny joke. They cl- yeah. <laughs> they claim they, c- they created Insane Clown Posse in order to f- get people on board with them that to bring them to God and Christianity. It's fucking- Great interview. It's but wild. But then they said that was a lie. Then they were like, psych. No, that they oh, they're that's just are Christian. That's their
0: thing. It's fucking I weird. Mean, it, I mean, on a level, it makes sense to me. I just feel like, you know, like there's a certain type, like in the neighborhood I grew up in or something, not that we were like incredibly poor or anything, but it was like, there's like a certain type who's like, Turns to God after, you know, like after a life of like somewhat debauchery or, you know.
1: But they're claiming they're claiming from day one they were. They're not claiming. No, I
0: I don't think that these guys had an overarching plan like that. (laughs) I mean, I do want to re-listen to that song where they talk about magnets. Like, yeah, that, that
1: song's was, ridiculous.
0: It's the best.
1: <laughs> um, oh, this has been a beautiful Juggalo tangent. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Great. All I can say is thank you for listening Um, yeah. out there for all these tangents. Um, we want to hear from you, though. We'd love to hear your thoughts <laughs> on murderous intent or anything we talked about in this episode because this episode yeah. goes a lot of places. It meandered. Um, it was all over. <laughs> yeah, but Kate, okay, that's what... In a good way. In, in a, a great good way. way, yeah. Um,
0: we took the scenic route to talk about this comic.
1: Hell yeah. And we <laughs> want to hear all about your thoughts on murderous intent, Ben Stenbeck and his contributions going forward. Um, anything we've touched on in this episode, including... Talk how, about
0: MySpace. Let me talk know if about you're getting... Back into MySpace.
1: <laughs> That'd be great. Talk about your thoughts on Snyder Cut, Juggalos, <laughs> anything you want. But we, you can do so by emailing us at awcrapahellboypodcast at gmail.com. Yeah. And then follow us on Instagram at awcrapahellboypodcast, Twitter awcraphellboy. Be aware, though, um, we will respond to your comments and your um, and notifications on there even Direct messages. But if you want your thoughts on the show, do email us again at ahcrap, a hellboypodcast at gmail.com. But in addition to that, if you could please go out of your way to go onto Apple Podcasts and give us a five star review. Um, if you give us a five star review on Apple Podcasts that starts with the word boom, we will give you a big old shout out, read your review right here on the show. We call that a boom review. So please, go make a give us a boom review on Apple Podcasts. And if you have any other format that you listen to us and they give you the option to rate us and review us, do so. We love that. Please do. That is it for this murderous intent episode. But before we're out of here, I just want to say that all of April is going to be dedicated to The Wild Hunt. I'm saying it right here. The Wild Hunt. I'm very excited to read this with you, Kate. It's one of the greats of Hellboy's over Archie's journey and his um, story. Of course, the movie that we pretty much despised from 2019 definitely pulled a lot from this, so I'm very excited to finally get to it with you. But yeah. the entire month, all the episodes in this coming month of April are dedicated to The Wild Hunt. So those listening, we can't wait to get your thoughts on The Wild Hunt. You can send us the early thoughts if you want as we dive into it. Duncan Fugredo, can't wait that's all (laughs) yeah Uh, but thank you again out there for listening um and remember we love you family family (laughs) you're adding to it yeah
0: I'm a juggalo now oh no (laughs) oh no okay turn it up we love you (laughs) Hosted by me, McKay. <laughs> I got so close. I'm the one
1: that messes up the intro. I was.
0: Re- I was. I started to read your name because I usually don't read it, but I was like, oh, "It's been a while." Okay. Okay. I would
1: love if you would have said my name.
0: Uh, by me, Mark David Christensen. And me, what? Kate Thompson. <laughs> oh my God! It's like listening to a
1: mirror. <laughs> listening to
0: a mirror. Okay. Here we go.
1: Imagine a podcast now. Imagine a musical. Now, imagine the two of them made one million babies. Well, you don't have to imagine it because it's real and it has a name. One Million Musicals. Each month, we bring you a brand new original podcast musical featuring talent from across Broadway, films, and TV. You'll hear tales of spooky ghosts, Wild West shootouts, adventures on the high seas, and much, much more. One million musicals, only a few hundred thousand to go. A Campfire Media Podcast. Campfire.